Marvis podcast. Today I have a really special guest because I have the utmost respect for teachers. And this is Mr. Steve Fortino, who has 33 plus years in education, to be more exact, special education teacher, and he taught at a level that would be considered severe. So how are you doing today, Mr. Fortino? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm so thankful for you to take the time out of your day. I know you've been busy with family and especially the holiday weekend. So again, I want to thank you for your time. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. So we have a really cool story to talk about, but I want to get a little bit more information so people learn about you. And can you tell me where did your first interest or love becoming an education professional start? Well, when I was a little boy, my grandparents had a little house behind their home, and the uh, the elderly woman that lived there had a Down syndrome granddaughter, and I would go to my grandparents, and she really was my first friend, and her and I were friends for our entire lives, and as I began to grow and develop, I could see that there was a difference, and, and that's what sparked my my interest in special education. Then, much, many more years later, my mother was hired as a special education aide, and uh, they needed volunteers at the local special education school. So I was um, in high school, and right out of high school, I started to volunteer, and I just found that it was a, um, a wonderful environment, and I fell in love with the students and um, the, the, the teaching aspect of it, and it kind of funneled me into that uh, career path. In a sense, you were kind of pulled in that direction from childhood. You just fell kind of... Not exactly. Even, that's amazing. It's, a wonder, it's wonderful to hear stories of how teachers, because when you go into a, pay, a job knowing you're not going to get paid a whole bunch, but it's so rewarding for individuals who teach, and I am just the utmost respect. Amazing. It, it, and you're right, it, and it really was. And, and the special thing was, was my little friend who had Down syndrome, her name was Lydia, um, her and I stayed friends, like I said, for the rest of rest of our lives until she passed away. And um, um, I actually became her teacher later on in uh, in our early twenties. Wow, that that's great. And you're so you're gonna we'll get to that component. So where did you go to school then? Where did you go to college? I um, I went to the local junior college here. I transferred to San Jose State University and then uh, finished up at Stanford. Wow, very nice. And so from, did you get any postgraduate education or did you go straight into teaching? No, I had, um, in order at, during that time, special education was so new and in the mid-70s is when the law changed and there was a public law that that stated that everybody was entitled to a free and public education no matter what. So um, the states were scampering to try to figure out how to credential these special education teachers. So at that time, you had to get a bachelor's, you had to get a, a regular K-12 teaching credential, and, um, and then a special education credential. So um, all of my graduate work was done at um, San Jose State and at Stanford. Oh, that's amazing. So what was your first job coming out of college? 
coming out of college, I actually worked for Hope Rehabilitation Center, which was an adult development center. So it was for adult um, in adults who were developmentally disabled. And my job was to um, to find their job skills, give them life skills, and then integrate them into um, a working environment, into independent living, into um, as much independent skills as I could teach them. Okay. So you actually touched and, a lot of part of their lives then. I'm sorry? You touched many areas of their lives, getting prepared to live true, on their true. own. True, true. And, and Right, and we really addressed all areas, personal relationships, um, self-help, independent living, transportation, job skills. We really looked at their life as a whole and, um, and provided um, education, learning, and support to make them as independent as possible. Wow. Now, was there ever any area that they really said, okay, you guys really need to focus on that as far as teaching someone to feed themselves correctly or the just basic cooking skills, was there anything there at all at that time? You know, there, there really wasn't. Um, because special education back in the, in the 70s and early 80s was so new, um, we pretty much had to develop programs as we went. But even today, as individualized as each student is, the teacher needs to develop programs um, on an individual basis according to the individual need. And um, like, I, like you had said, you know, the classification was severe. That's a very broad classification where I um, have taught profound students where we might be teaching an 18-year-old how to hold a spoon or how to chew or how to track, you know, visually all the way through autism, um, Down syndrome students, students with severe brain damage, you know, um, all the way as high as um, students who may be able to hold a job um, doing some type of a simple skill. So it's a, it's a broad range. So how, when did you end up in the actual school system then? I actually went to work for Santa Clara County Office of Education in um, 1985. Okay. And I worked um, until I retired in uh, 2014. Wow. So tell us, when you walked into the classroom, what were the type of students that you were seeing on a daily basis? Well, it, it, depended, on, it depended on what type of a, um, um, what period of time. Because what was happening at the time was we would work at an assignment and then our principal would move us within, uh, within the school. So... You know, there was a time where I taught, um, I, had, um, I had infants, and there was a time where I taught students that were 18 to 22. There, um, you know, there was a time where, we had, where I had profound students, where everybody was in a wheelchair, everybody was in diapers, everyone was fed. Um, there was a lot of physical therapy that went on and, a lot, and that type of education setting. Um, and... Um, you know, then I, I've taught, you know, primary, elementary, junior high, high school, and then the last um, 15, 14 years, I taught what was called post-senior, which was 
18 to 22 year olds. And, and that group was a group that specifically we taught to try to ready them for post school. So we, we looked at job skills, independent living skills. Most students, in fact, all my students wouldn't drive a car, so they needed to understand how to ride the bus system, um, how to hold a job, you know, how to be safe, a lot, a lot of those kind of skills that many of us take for, for granted. That's amazing. So really, in the day in the life of a teacher back then, I don't know if it's still like that now. I mean, you never knew what you were going to be assigned to do. You had to be prepared for everything. You had to be prepared for everything, right, right. And we would get sometimes, we would get a student who, um, who had severe behavior problems, and we'd then all of a sudden then we'd have to change things and implement behavioral programs and, and uh, you know, to try to help the student get over whatever it was that was causing this problem. And you guys were like trailblazers anyway because you didn't necessarily have the uh, previous, you know, teachers from decades and decades of information to help you know what to do. I mean, you guys came up with your own stuff. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the, the County Office of Education certainly provided a good support system. You know, we had a lot of ancillary staff. You know, we had speech and language people, behavioral specialists. I can't hear you. You're going to need to speak into the, the mic a little better for me. Oh, okay. Is there you go. Yes. Very good. Okay. Go ahead. Anyway, and we, we had um, good ancillary staff. We had, you know, speech and language people, behavioral specialists, um, physical therapists, occupational therapists, people that were willing to step in and support us and consult with us. Um, you know, it was a real team effort to, to – uh, to educate our students to really ready them for um, for life after school, and that really was my passion. You know, to um, I wanted these students because you, you know you you develop you know this great teacher-student relationship with these these students, and you really want them to be successful, and you also develop a relationship with their families and. Something that I found, you know, people talk about how sometimes our education system is broken, and I've, and I've talked to parents about this, but when the school, the teacher, the student, and the parents are all on the same page, absolutely magic happens. It is absolutely amazing what will happen when there is support throughout the entire day, including at home, with everybody working towards the same goal. The results are, are astounding. Now, with that being said, that kind of falls into what you saw happening and some things changed when you noticed that you had some special needs patients that were or students coming in that had some issues, lifestyle issues. Can you tell us how that all started? Sure can. So the post-senior post -senior program started in 2000. And um, soon after, so the first year, everything was going just fine. Soon after that, I started to get very much overweight and obese students. And I had never had obese students in my class. You know, I might have a, a kid that was a little bit chubby, but not to where, not to the extent that I started to, to get them. And 
what had happened was I started taking a look at the lunches, and they were absolutely horrible, and they were being packed at home a lot of times by the students, and they basically was all sugar or all processed foods, you know, things like Lunchables and um, the little uh, punch containers that are popular in, in school lunches. So um, then I had a student who arrived in a wheelchair, but only because they were too heavy. And as a result, they needed to be pushed around. Well, our class profile was, you know, students arrived in the morning, and then half an hour later, our, um, our classroom was really in the community. You know, we were out walking to the bus. We were off, to, you know, the, the class was divided um, into groups according to where they were where they were working and where they were going. Some students were independent. So we had students now that we were having to push in a wheelchair only because they were too heavy because they couldn't walk. And um, so I knew that, that I had to do something here because this was a huge issue and it was going to affect their lifestyle and certainly going to affect them, you know, in the future going forward once they were out of school. So I... Um, I spoke to my staff, I spoke to my administration, and I met with parents and I spoke with students. And I wanted everybody on the same page. So at the time we started a program called Operation Get Fit, and we talked, you know, and all the students wanted to, to, uh, to feel better and they wanted to look better. And, you know, when, you, when, you're, when you're dealing with special education individuals, you know, I didn't want to throw at them a lot of um, technical jargon, so we, you know, we kept it at their level. And students were, you know, a female student said that she wanted to look like Halle Berry, and they would cut pictures out of who they, who kind of a body image they would like to have. So um, once I had clearance from my administration, my staff was on board, students were certainly on board, and parents, and I had parents certainly speak to the doctor, have their student have a, um, or have their child have a, have a checkup if, if needed before we started an exercise program. So the first thing we did was solicit a treadmill from actually one of my students' families. So they donated a treadmill. So what we did is we started students walking on the treadmill 30 minutes a day at a very low to medium speed, okay? So that was the first thing was to add some exercise, but some real low-impact stuff. You know, I had one student who was severely diabetic. Actually, I had two students that were, that were diabetic. One was so severe that we had to check her blood every two hours. So, you know, she had had a kidney transplant, and, we had, um, and, as, and the anti-rejection medicine had caused her to become diabetic. So we certainly didn't want to stretch out her body. We just wanted to add a little bit of exercise. The other area was nutrition. So um, what I did was I um, spoke with the parents and, and tried to get them to pack a better lunch. But it worked with a few. But what I found was that parents didn't really understand about nutrition and our nutrition goals. And even though parents were, in, were on board, 
I really didn't want, I didn't want to offend parents by harping on the parents that were not getting it. And I had some older parents, you know, and I used to tell the older parents, do you remember how your grandmother ate? And they would say, well, yeah, yeah, they mostly ate from the garden. I said, yeah, do that. But it was still difficult for them to pack these lunches because they just didn't know how to get that food, you know, back into the classroom in a way that, you know, their, um, their child would eat it. So, so I spoke with the staff. At the time we were working in a classroom, we had no kitchen. We only had a refrigerator and, and a sink. So, um, so I spoke with the staff, and what we did was we um, decided to, to cook. And the way that things were set up was students came a full day, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Thursday was a half day, then Friday was a full day. So we cooked Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday we cooked a, a smaller snack. And then on Fridays, they usually picked someplace in town they would go out and eat. So we um, we sat down as a whole. We all watched uh, Super Size Me and, you know, talked about uh, fast food and how bad it was. And I have to say that obesity in the disabled population is horrendous. And it's because students don't get it. They, um, I was sitting with a, with a former student of mine who used to be slim. In fact, we used to have to watch him because he would take off and run. And he would work, was super fast and we could hardly catch him. Well, he was probably close to 300 pounds. And I was talking to him one day and he had, um, was drinking sodas. And he had drank three of them while we were talking. And I said, you know, these are bad for you. You shouldn't be drinking so much soda. And he said, no, I'm not drinking soda. I'm drinking lemonade. You know, it's just doesn't, they don't get it. So, you know, and unfortunately. Where, where do you think they learned all that? Just, again, from the parents or just media? Or where do you think they're getting this? Yeah, probably from, from the media, you know, just, um, just, like, just like the able-bodied population does. You know, it's um, we're bombarded with misinformation and bombarded with um, you know with with media information on the television, on the radio, and you know it's hard to decipher. It's you know, and you know it's that whole motivational triad that that gets discussed in you know forks over knives. You know, we're we're attracted to that. To that sweet, fat, you know, foods that are really not that good for us, right. you know. So, what did you end up doing uh, then? Well, so what we did was we decided that we would cook, and we had to figure out how we're going to cook without a kitchen. So we had a little bit of money. We um, um, we bought a George Foreman grill, which is perfect. <laughs> And, um, and we had some, you know, some very basic kitchen utensils, forks, knives, bowls, plates, cups, and, and, and such. So I sent a, a note home to the parents, and I said, hey, I have an idea. How about we cook at school? This will work out perfect. Students will be able to learn how to prepare their food, and they'll learn how to cook new foods. And, and the good thing was is that I thought I can introduce some foods that maybe they've never tried before. 
the parents were ecstatic that they didn't have to make lunches anymore, and all they had to do was send six dollars in per student to feed their their son or daughter Monday through Thursday. So, so your budget were, was six dollars per student for a week. Right, it's wow. not counting Friday that we go out to, you know, we go out to lunch. So six dollars would feed one student for four days, one meal. For four days, right? Wow. For lunch. For lunch, okay. And and because I'm only because I'm only controlling one meal a day, I knew it had to be super healthy. So um, um, so I sat down with my staff. We decided that we would do grilled vegetables, fresh. You know, fresh cut vegetables, that kind of stuff. Um, now we did add we at the time, which I had no idea about a whole food plant based diet, nor had I watched, you know, Forks Over Knives or read the China study, but we did have a little bit of meat that was in there, but as I look back, we were well within the five percent that Dr. Pauline Campbell speaks about. In, uh, in, the, in the China study, at $6 per person for four meals, you know, you can imagine there's not very much money to be spent. In fact, what's interesting is what drives a lot of blue zones in, you know, as a result of, you know, poor economics and having people eat closer to the land is really what drove us as well. You know, where we were able to, we had to mostly buy fruits and vegetables. So, and what I also did was, for a snack, I kept a bag of apples, a bag of pears, a bag of um, oranges. And whenever students would tell me, you know, gee, I'm hungry, I would tell them, you can have all the apples you want. And they would be so excited. Like, you're kidding, I can. I'm like, you can eat 10 apples. I wish I knew they could eat. But you can eat 10 apples. They would eat 10 apples. And they would go in and attempt to eat two and usually not even finish the second one. You know, right. so so anyway, so we were able to set the program up, and and what year was this? And what I was able to, I'm sorry. What year was this? This was uh, let's see, right around 2003, 2004 school okay. year. Okay. Okay. So so we started we started making lunches. Students completely loved making their own lunch. They loved that part of the day. It was a real communal time. Um, we were kind of crammed into a really small kitchen that we actually had to share with other businesses. But the other businesses were great and, uh, you know, supported us as well. Um, I have parents who grew gardens. So in the spring, in the summer, in the fall, they would send in, you know, extra vegetables and, and things that they had grown. So, so the students, especially the students of those parents were very proud to bring in, you know, their the fruits of their of their work at home. So um, soon after the program started, about a month to a month and a half, we, we I could tell that we needed a little more in the exercise department. So there was a uh, health center right down the street. So I went down, I spoke with them, and they were able to give us a, a membership. Twenty dollars. Um, Twenty. Let me think here. I want to say it was thirty dollars a year to get a to 
get a, a membership. For the and students? They had a, um, for students, right. Okay. So I sent notes home to the parents, and all the parents were on board. I even had parents that were willing to, to pay for students who, um, who couldn't afford it. So we all had memberships. We all talked about, you know, what's appropriate behavior, you know, um, in, a, in a gym and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, for special ed students, you know, I don't know if you remember, but I remember the first time when I had to get dressed out for PE, you know, it was kind of shocking to have to get my clothes off and put on my gym clothes, you know. So I had students who, you know, were very leery about this, but we were able to talk about it, and it was a great life experience because that's, that's what adults do. Adults don't go out and play football anymore, we wouldn't be able to, you know, get up and move and go to work the next day. We work out. So so all the students were able to go to the gym. It was such an amazing experience for them because what we did is I asked all the students to do one hour of cardio. So we would arrive, we would check in, they would put their stuff in walkers, they'd go into the, into the gymnasium and either walk on a treadmill or stair climber or whatever. The amazing part of it was, as they went in, I I would stay back. I, I didn't want to be like a Gestapo, you know, telling them to you know, hurry up. I just gave them some instructions and then let them, you know, take care of themselves. Well, they developed friendships and relationships in the gym. And um, what I found was my students inspired other people, as they began losing weight and became in such good shape, I had a, um, a very uh, well-known football coach in, in town who came up to me and told me and said, you know, your student inspires me every day to come in here and work out because I have seen how much weight he's lost. And that was the student who was in the wheelchair. So when we first started going to the to the gym, we had to wheel him down in the wheelchair. He could hardly walk 30 or 40 yards. By the time we were a year into this program, he had lost 75 pounds. Not only could he walk, but he would walk a mile to his job with his classmates, a mile back, then walk two blocks to the gym, walk for an hour, and then he would be able to take another exercise that he said he, of his choice, you know, and walk back to school. I mean, huge wow. life change for, for him. Wow. I even had a, um, a dentist in town come up to me and say, you know, your students inspire me. And like I told parents before, when has a doctor or a coach ever said, I want to be like that disabled kid. So <laughs> that just doesn't happen, you know. So you know, when, when I when I started this program, I really thought that, um, you know, I had I, I, I had conclusions, I had hypothesis. I thought students would lose weight, they'll feel better. I want to push this big guy around in a wheelchair anymore, <laughs> and that would be it. Well, what came out of this? was so much more, you know, and that was one of it. You know, having, you know, people that were that were well known and accomplished 
that, you know, looked at my students as inspiration. And I, I just love that. I've never, I have never had that in all the years of teaching special ed. Wow. So, um, so how many students so in each class did you have? You know, my, my loading model was like 12 or 13. So that's how many students I had. And the way that, what else the students would do at the gym was they would, um, they would go in and do cardio. Then they had a choice. So they could do Pilates, they could do yoga, they could do a Titan Tone class. Um, during the summer and the spring and into the fall, they had a swimming pool, they could do a water aerobics class. Well, what I found was I had a lot of students with auditory processing issues. So the students, we had a, a wonderful aerobics instructor. And it was really wasn't your traditional aerobics class that very, very fast, but it was more of a Titan tone class. So for during the winter months, the students would always choose that class. And here was the benefit of this class. We had an instructor up there who is giving instructions as far as how the students should move. And the students have to listen, and they have to process, and they have to make their body move in that direction. And they have to do it in a timely manner because within a short amount of time, the next instruction would come. And what we found was students started to improve in their auditory processing. And, um, so can, can you explain what auditory processing is for those who maybe not be familiar yeah, with that, that is, Sure can. So what that is is if somebody's sitting in a chair, in, in a real simple term, somebody's sitting in a chair and I say, I'd like you to stand up, go into the kitchen, get that, get the cup, and, and come back. So they have, to, they have to hear what I say, they have to understand what that means, and then they have to make it happen. They have to get up and go into the other room, get what I asked them to get, and come back. That's auditory processing. And I had students that that was difficult. It was difficult for them to do. But by having them go into a class two or three times a week, which, and here was part of what I loved even more so, they weren't taking the orders from me. They were taking it from somebody in our community, just a lay person that's out there in a class that they love to do, that they got a lot of joy out of doing, you know. So what we did is we created a learning environment that was fun, that was healthy, that students couldn't wait to go to. They laughed and they joked throughout the, the class. And um, we found that when students were tested, and this was something that, um, um, that I found so remarkable, that when every, in special education, every three years, students are requalified for special education, okay? And that's a law. So every three years, there's a comprehensive battery of tests. They're, um, they're educational, they're emotional, they're, um, they test them throughout the, their, their entire spectrum. And it's done by speech and language people. I, I administer tests, Psycho, the psychologist administers tests, and then they see where they score. Well, my students will always qualify for special ed, but 
according to the law, they still have to do this battery of tests. And, and this is called a triannual, a triannual IEP. An IEP is an individual educational program where uh, the teacher has to develop an educational program specifically for that particular student. So what started happening was after about a year into this program, um, we, um, you know, students were coming up for the triannual review, and psychologists, speech people, and even parents were calling me saying, what are you doing over there? And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, they're scoring considerably higher than they've ever scored in these areas. And like they said, you know, they said, well, when we chart every three years, you know, there's a steady incline, but now all of a sudden it's drastically taking, you know, there's some drastic improvements. What are you doing? So I explained to them, and they said, well, that must be it. I had a parent call and say, you know, that um, I brought my son in for a, for a checkup and, an eye, and then an eye exam, and both his general doctor and his ophthalmologist can't believe how much better they're doing, you know, because um, as, 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 you know, as per the results of, of the examination. Like their vision and is improving. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as a special education teacher, you know, I certainly, I am not curing the disability. But what I'm doing is I'm making them the best that they can be, which they'll certainly score higher on all their tests, you know. Um, so... So the gym was a wonderful experience for the students, and many of the students still go to the gym today as a result, because what we were trying to do was trying to develop that love for the gym and, the, and working out so that it would be a lifestyle, make it fun, make it something that they look forward to so that when they, were, they finish school, they, they want to do it, they continue, they continue with it. Um, Did you find that the, the other then, meals at home changed as well? Yes, and, and that was, was something interesting. As, as, we, uh, as we cooked at school and, you know, we did, a, like I said, a lot of fresh green salads and grilled vegetables and um, we made, you know, veggie sandwiches and veggie pitas, um, Students developed this palate for this type of food. We also talked about how bad processed food, foods are. And I had several parents call me and say, you know, my son was at Costco with his dad, and they were going to get a, they were going to get one of those uh, hot dogs. And my son would told my husband, no way. Steve said that that will kill you. <laughs> You know, and he said he would not budge. He wouldn't eat it. He made him go to Subway and get a veggie sandwich, oh, you know. Awesome. And, you know, something that was was really, really interesting is we did the, the math. And in a, a normal school year, is 185 days. And if you add summer, there's an extra 20. But during the 185 days, what we found was, you know, um, 
the calorie reduction in the lunches was about 350 calories compared to what they were eating and what we were cooking. Well, with the just the um, just the aerobic exercise at the gym, not counting, you know, um, any of the classes, the Pilates or the Titan Tone classes. When you add those up, that would result in um, about a 700 calorie a day swing. Okay. Well, we added it up, and in a 185-day school year, given the days off for Christmas vacation, spring break, and so on, it comes out to about 168,000 calories. So with that kind of a negative calorie reduction in a person's diet over a year, um, our students lost. I stopped counting the first year at 237 pounds. Of, of cumulative weight loss, wow. and because they just got to where it was, it was kind of crazy. I mean, they, they you know, they're they're young young people, eighteen and twenty to twenty two. So as soon as as soon as you introduce you know a healthy lifestyle, wonderful things start happening. Their their weight drops. I I even had some parents complain that they had to buy clothes constantly because they were losing weight so fast. You oh, know. But but it was wonderful. Students felt good. They they did better in school. I even saw some students who had some mild behavior problems. Some behavior problems went away. You know what kind um, of behavior and problems? That I'm sorry. What kind of behavior problems? You know, I had students where you know there were they would they would argue, they'd be argumentative. They wouldn't do what they were asked, you know. Um, not any, you know, not any that was too terrible. But you know what I found was they felt better about themselves. They looked forward to coming to school. You know, they um, they enjoyed spending the day doing what we were doing, and um, um, and they were excited. So, you know, when, when you create that kind of environment, you have less behavior problems, you know. And, um, you know, another thing that I was able, my mother, um, my mother's family was from Arkansas. So my mom introduced a lot of root vegetables, you know, like rutabagas and turnips and stuff. Well, I always thought it was so interesting because I would have parents tell me, oh, my, my son or daughter would never eat, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, vegetable. And what I would do is I would go into the kitchen and I would keep some of these more non-mainstream vegetables to some people, you know, like turnips and daikon, mustard greens and kale. And I would cut them up and I would lightly season them with a little bit of um, um, balsamic vinegar or some red wine vinegar and a little bit of seasoning and I would put them on a plate and I would walk in the classroom and I would just set them on a table and not say a word. And of course, the students would look at me and say, well, what is this for? And I said, well, if you'd like some, you can have some. And within five minutes, the entire plate was gone, <laughs> you know, and they would talk about how they would love it, and they would be excited about, well, what is this? And they would try it, and, 
you know. Um, so that might it was be just a, amazing. That might be a trick that would be helpful for just parents in general. Let's put the stuff out there and see what happens. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of um, what I found was a lot of students got their, uh, you know, they they formed their opinion about foods according to the opinions in the household. So, for instance, if you know, mom or dad was repulsed by a turnip, you know, well, they heard their parents talk about that or heard them talk about foods that they don't care for, and as a result, you know, they form that opinion themselves. In the classroom setting, just like in the gym and an aerobics class, or just like in the, in the kitchen when we were cooking, um, you know, I, um, there's, that, there's that peer pressure where you have other students joining in, and everybody wants to belong, and the students would... You know, even the students that were more reluctant would, you know, and their friends would say, come here, try this, this is good. They would try it, hmm. you know. And in most cases, maybe they really didn't care for it that much, but they weren't going to say they didn't like it if everybody else loved it, you know. That is, it's a positive peer pressure. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and the results were, were incredible. I mean, I'm I'm dumbfounded. When I when you told me your story when you, when we first connected, I was amazed. And I mean, how many years did your program go on? Or is it still going? You know, it, it went on for about um, 11 years. Wow. So when these new students would come in, um, we'd talk to them about it. And they were, I, I never had a student that resisted. The only student that ever resisted was, um, I had a student with some, some behavioral issues, a real, a, a real student that we struggled with, and um, so he had come in the classroom. We explained what was going on, and we were cooking lunch, and he, and he turned to me and he said, "I'm not eating that crap," and I said, "You know," I said, "That's okay. You don't have to eat it." I said, "But we're not a restaurant." I said, "So, you know, this is what we're serving today, and um, you know." You choose not to eat. That's okay. You know, you can call your mom and have her bring her bring you lunch, but um, you, you should try it. You know, so we kind of milled around a little bit and then asked for a plate and sat down and ate an entire plate of grilled vegetables and a vegetable sandwich. You know, and he just absolutely loved it and never had a problem with uh, with the menu again. Wow. So a lot of times, you know, I I always tell I'm somebody who enjoys trying different types of food and different cultures foods and and all all of that kind of stuff and i usually tell people if you don't like something it's because somebody hasn't prepared it in a way that um that you like simply right i i think that's a lot of the issue in america one we well first we're eating processed foods that's highly addictive and cheap because we're subsidizing foods and, and there's a whole host of political reasons but it's convenience and taste. So when you're used to high salt, high fat, you know, loaded with, you know, artificial sweeteners, we're going to have issues getting people to like the sweetness of a strawberry. But if we, right. if we exactly. really were, but it, it's amazing how quickly your palate will change, which apparently you did witness. 
But I'm, absolutely. What I'm curious is, did they, after you retired, did they not continue the program? Did someone not step in and say, I mean, this is amazing. Why don't we continue it? You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, um, no, they didn't continue it. Um, you, in, in a lot of, for a lot of teachers, we're kind of a little bit of an island out there on our own, and we bring in our own passion and our own um, ideas. And, um, you know, because health and nutrition was not written into a curriculum or not, you know, promoted as a requirement, you know, um, if that new teacher is not passionate about it, it doesn't become part, part of their day. So, you know, it's something that could be continued and it could be added in all classrooms. But it's just, to me, it's sad because I'm getting this amazing results and yet when I explain to other teachers what's going on, because I certainly had our, our school physical education teacher, they're, they're actually called an adaptive physical education teacher, she was very on board. In fact, it was interesting. She walked in my classroom one day. She was new, and she introduced herself, and I said, oh, you know, thank you, but we really don't need um, um, your PD services because we go to the gym. She said, what? I said, yeah, we have a health and nutrition program. She goes, you've got to tell me about this. So I, we explained the whole thing very, pretty much like I'm, a, I'm talking to you, and uh, she's like, this has been my dream ever since I started. So she was hugely on board and absolutely loved what we did and tried to promote it throughout, um, you know, throughout the district and throughout the county. But, um, you know, sadly, it wasn't, wasn't met with a lot of success because, you know, it's uh, kind of like trying to talk to, you know, your, your, your parent or, or um, you know, your friend about, you know, a whole food plant-based diet, you know, somehow it strikes them culturally and, and offends them almost like, what do you mean? You're telling me I've been living wrong my entire life, you know? I always feel that if you know better, you do better. Right. So. It, it, is, it does boggle my mind because I consider people like you and myself and other folks who kind of the pioneers in nutrition and using it to Exactly, in education, in medicine, but I've also met resistance with other physicians, even though their own patients would be coming to me, like literally come to me, get better, go back to them, and they'll, they're like, they won't adopt it or use it with their own other patients, or tell them to go eat an Atkins diet. I'm like, did you not just see the diabetes get better, <laughs> the cholesterol? It blows my mind, the resistance, but our brains are just, you know, it's, and that's where I've become so fascinated with just behavior change and uh, altering people's perception of what they think is right. But, you know, but again, they want to stick with what they already been doing, right? They don't want to be told they're wrong. And, and it makes people nervous because they've never, ever eaten different like that before. And heaven forbid they actually might be wrong. But I had patients, you know, two patients for the reason I changed, and I'm so thankful for it. But... I am amazed, like, I'm, I'm, I sit here listening to the story, or you're taking, you know, 
those who are the most challenged in society, one, they're in a, in a school that, you know, schools are already underfunded, um, teachers are strapped with, with stress and all the different things that they're required to do, and you're taking a simple approach by feeding them better, plant foods, and taking them to a gym and allowing them to assimilate in normal community and having astounding results with improved behavior, improved scores that are bringing, you know, getting the attention of psychologists and the other teachers and educators, and they don't continue this? Like, it is like, I like, you feel like I'm in the twilight zone here. I, I don't understand. And why do you think they didn't persist? I mean, if they saw those results for their own students, I mean, did parents not stand up and say, I want this to continue or anything? You know, I had, a, I had um, one particular student who was diabetic, and, and he was not on insulin shots, but he was on pills to combat his diabetes. And three months after being in my class, he was no longer diabetic. Well, then due to um, know, some administrational changes, he had to move from my class to another class. And within a month, he was diabetic again. Mm. And I just am dumbfounded that when people are staring at a cure, that they don't embrace it. I just, I don't get it. And yet I, I do have some parents that I still stay in contact with that will um, call me or text me or email me and ask me questions you know, that are still very much on it, you know, and um, they are, um, you know, they they talk about how, you know, we've adopted this, this eating plan in our family and we feel better and we're not only doing it for our family, but we're doing it to support our son mm -hmm. or our daughter, right. you know, and I love hearing that kind of stuff. And what's so interesting, Lori, is when I first began this, I did not have, you know, I, like I said in the beginning, I, I, I had not seen forks over knives. I had not read the China study or seen any of um, the information or the studies out on the whole food plant-based diet. I could even do a better job today knowing what I know now as a result of, you know, like your podcasts and, mm -hmm. and you know, the documentaries and, and the videos out by, you know, Dr. Greger, mm -hmm. you know, so I was, we were just kind of going off of what we knew. I mean, everybody knows fruits and vegetables are healthy. We all know that, you and, know. And then you were, and, you um, were, you were also at the parameters of $6 a, for four meals in a week. Right. So you eat like a peasant. Right. <laughs> right. right. And ate like a peasant. It was interesting. I just read a, an article yesterday, and apparently in the 13th century, that when the wealthy became um, became sick, the doctors at the time put them on a peasant diet to straighten their bodies out. Oh, there you go. But but then again, even then, they didn't understand to continue that afterwards. Like, oh, if I ate this way, I get better. But maybe I should continue to eat this way. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. It's like. Dr. Paul Esselstein speaks about how, you know, in the 40s, you know, during when the Nazi invaded the Netherlands and took away all their animals and, 
and um, the, uh, the people were forced to eat fruits and vegetables because that's what, what they had, and they saw this insane drop in cardiac disease, and we didn't get it. Mm -hmm. And then when the Nazis you know? left, the heart attacks and everything came back. He's a, that's a great uh, illustrative example that's shown in Forks Over Knives, so I would encourage anyone who's even vaguely interested in what we're talking about to start with Forks Over Knives. So what would you recommend? Because I have family members that are teachers, and I have some dear friends that are teachers. What would you recommend to those folks who are in an education system in today's you know, system, which is, you know, Common Core and whatever, Don't Leave Your Child Behind Act, what would you suggest for them to start with? How could they start integrating some of these things into their a regular classroom or a special ed classroom? You know, I certainly would start with conversation with the students because, as we know, students are powerful in their homes in what they want and, you know, and their choices. And as a teacher, we need to we need to take on what we can and have control over, or at least a minimal amount of control over. We don't have control over what is going to be um, what is going to be prepared in their homes, but you certainly have control over the conversation in your classroom with your students. And if you can get the students um, on board, you know, certainly in a conversation, and then add things in. And, you know, in most regular non-special ed classrooms, you know, the students either bring their lunch or they, um, or they eat at a cafeteria, you know. And, um, but by introducing foods and bringing foods to the classroom, you know, certainly with the approval of your administration, you know, you can start introducing these great foods to students. But it has to be motivational for the students. So like a politician in campaigning, you know, you need to campaign for help. So what is it if you so if you're take for example you're talking to some junior high students. Junior high students it's they're all about appearance and I wanna look good, I wanna look you know, I wanna look uh, handsome or pretty or, or whatever, you know, and you can talk about there's nothing that is as beautiful as health. And many times that will motivate the students into doing, um, into making some better choices. And especially today when we have people and, and young people who are fighting with their weight. And, uh, you know, I certainly have had periods of time in my life where I've been heavier than I am now. And, you know, and I didn't feel good about myself. and. And I didn't like it, and I, you know, we all want to have, you know, the great body, you know, that that is, uh, you know, put out there for us to, to look at, and, you know, so it needs to be, it needs not to be. You need to eat this because it's good for you. You need to eat this because it'll do your body good. It'll make you, it'll make you feel better. It'll make you look how you choose to look, however that is, right. you know, and. Um, but it all starts with conversation. And the best way to have, um, the best way to, to have this move forward is if you can motivate your students to adopt a healthy lifestyle 
a whole food plant-based diet, then like my students, they will motivate others. They will motivate their family. If, you know, the son or daughter comes home and says, Mom, you know, Dad, I, there's, my teacher's talking about this, and I've been doing it for a month, and I've lost 10 pounds, and I feel good, and I feel better about myself, and I can run, and I can take part in this activity, it's pretty hard for a loving parent not to support um, the successes of their child. And I think the lesson learned, too, is that this is not more expensive. This this no, is well within, it's insanely cheap when you do it right. And, you know, oh my gosh, yeah. I, I, and right. coming Monday, so after um, we're going into this uh, holiday weekend, so Monday I'm actually going to start a $50 per week budget, and it's going to be a whole food plant-based diet. I'm going to be videoing everything that I eat and how I prepare it and putting that out there to share with people to show that you can eat healthy on a diet, a healthy diet on a budget of literally seven dollars a day, and that's because that's what SNAP and the you know food stamp program will actually give to uh, one individual. And so I'm going to do it to show you can do it. And I live in now I'm in Florida in Boca Raton, which is a really much more expensive place. So it's going to be a behoove me to go look for places that are a little bit cheaper, like Aldi and Publix. And uh, I I'm really excited to see what happens. But my bill alone went down. $400 a month when we converted five of us to a plant-based diet five years ago. So, you know, and then yours doing, I'm like, I'm in, I'm amazed at that $6 for four meals because, you know, if you look at the school lunch program, they get just over a dollar per meal. Is it like a dollar and a quarter on average, I think? Um, right. But it's not much, but so they could do this even in a school cafeteria. It's just a matter of of motivation and, and really taking to heart what these foods are doing to these kids. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, out here in California, um, you know, there's certain families who have fallen on hard economic times. Can you speak into but, the mic a little uh, more, please? I'm sorry. Sure. There you I, go. Oh, better? Okay. Yes. So out here in California, there's certain families that have fallen on hard economic times. But um, I know that locally we have food banks that give out fruits and vegetables once a week. You know, so um, people don't have to turn to um, the fast foods or the dollar menu. At, you know, at, at some of these um, these these chain chain fast food restaurants. And you know, something I used to tell parents a lot was cook like your grandmother. Cook like your great, depending on how old they were, you know. In right. other words, if they were, if they were, you know, in their fifties and sixties, I would say cook like your grandmother. And when I said that, they it was like a bell went off, and they would say, "Oh, I get it. My grandmother mostly cooked. We mostly had vegetables and a tiny piece of meat, but it was more for flavor. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. Nobody sat down with a quarter pounder or a half." Of, of something, and they talked about, and, and when I said that, you know, there's some, you know, there's some reminiscing that, that goes on to that, mm -hmm. and and what I like about that statement is it doesn't offend them, doesn't offend their traditions, and it doesn't offend their culture. Mm -hmm. In fact, it praises their, their culture, it 
praises their traditions mm -hmm. because they're going back to what somebody, for most people, they love very much, a grandparent, you know, and said, oh, I could do that. I could, I can eat like my grandparents. My grandparents ate fruits and vegetables. They picked from their garden, you know, and um, yeah, when I talk to right. people about that, I love the spark in their eye when, uh, when they finally make that connection. And, you know, it is, it's a matter of framing the message so someone will be open to receiving it. And I think you did. That's a wonderful way of putting it. So let's cook like our great-grandparents did. And uh, I think that's a – because I remember when I grew up, we didn't have a lot of money. We ate a lot of beans. We ate a lot of potatoes. We grew a garden every year. And we did. We had meat very rarely. I mean, we didn't even really notice it. If it was, it was like – you know, ham in the beans. <laughs> so, right, you know, right, right. and we always had hot yeah. cereals in the morning, and we always had, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch, and we had vegetables coming out our ears from the garden and zucchinis and all that. But exactly. it makes complete sense, and it it was to my benefit that that happened, but it, it makes absolute complete sense for someone to think about, wow, what did grandma and great-grandma cook, or grandparents, you know, who right. was cooking. That was a, that's a great right. idea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I grew up in, uh, in Gilroy, California, which when I was growing up was very rural. In fact, um, most of our friends and most of my classmates were all farmers. So when I would go to, you know, a friend of mine's house, there was always a bowl of fruit out that anybody, in fact, they were kind of encouraging, you know, we've got to eat this stuff, it's going to go bad, you know. And, um, you know, so there was always an abundance of, of that kind of food, mm -hmm. and it's what we played on. It's how we got our energy. Mm -hmm. You know, I, um, I, I teach a fermentation class, like how to ferment sauerkraut and, and uh, fermented foods. And what's interesting is in my explanation in the class, I, part of what I say is this is not your mom's sauerkraut. This is your great-grandmother's sauerkraut, you know, because it's not something gotten in a can mm -hmm. that was, you know, made in a day. It is something that your great-grandparents made as a way of preserving foods and a way of promoting health. Right. And did they didn't even know that they had the cure for today's diseases. It's amazing. <laughs> right. Yeah, true, true. Wow. Well, do you have any last bits of advice? I mean, there's so much wealth of information here that you provided us. I can't even begin to tell you thank you enough. I mean, but is there any other? Oh, I, I'm just so delighted with this conversation. Do you have any other last tidbits for us, parents, teachers, people in general? You know, I, I do, and that is lead by example. Can you speak into the mic again? I'm sorry. What is that again? There you go. Lead, lead by example and inspire by example. Lead but by example and what? By example? Lead by example and inspire by example. Gotcha. Lead by example and inspire by example. Okay. And, continue, and continue to have this conversation because hopefully at some point one of, one of a few things might happen. Either somebody finally gets it, or what happens is they become, they hit rock bottom. They, they 
jump on the scale and they realize that no clothes fit, I feel horrible, I'm on, you know, a half a dozen pills, and I just saw a number on the scale I've never seen before. And sometimes at that moment, the conversation that you had before clicks. Mm-hmm. And what I tell people is, I, my, mother, my mother fought her raid her entire life. And my mother had been on it. I watched my mother go, go and try every diet that was out there. And yet, this by far, a whole food, plant-based diet, is by far the easiest lifestyle, eating lifestyle I've ever attempted. Oh, by far. By the, the simplicity of it, the, the troublesome part is trying to convince others that we're not extreme or crazy. <laughs> And that we are, um, you know, we're not out there. We're not weird. You know, we just, you know. And what I tell a lot of people, I, I, I recently was uh, at a uh, Veterans of Foreign War event in my town. I went with my father, and uh, one of the women, of the husbands who belong, walked up to me and said, "Oh, you're the vegan." And I, I laughed, and I said, yeah, I said, did I just grow another head? And she started laughing, you know. She said, no, but your dad said you feel really good. Can you tell me about it? And it was wonderful. I, I was able then to have a short conversation with her. I had not overloaded her with information, mm-hmm. but, you know, so I'm speaking to a woman who is 82. Mm-hmm. Now, what she wants to hear is how can she feel younger? Yeah. How can she feel better? Mm-hmm. So. That's what I talk to her about, mm-hmm. you know, whereas if, if uh, you know, maybe a young person comes up and they're interested in environmental issues, mm-hmm. that's what I'll speak to them about because they probably already feel good if they're 20, right. you know. Although so, nowadays, you know, there's I mean, a little bit of, you seem what's that? Even, but nowadays, I mean, the chronic disease is just, you know, coming younger and younger ages, so, but. Exactly true. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you're just saying, you know, speak to the person to what they'll want to hear. Right. Speak to them what will spark their interest and what will motivate them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's truly what teaching is about as well, you know, is try to motivate people to learn. And, um, you know, as this entire whole food plant-based movement goes forward, um, that's really how we're going to, you know, get people to understand how they can really control their health and their health destiny or certainly play a larger part in it than they have in the past Mm -hmm. is through um, inspiring them and speaking to them in the language that they want to hear and and what they're interested in. I mean, that's exactly true. I mean, I think teachers and doctors are very similar that we – we motivate behavior change. We motivate learning. We try to, mo- well, most of us, we try to motivate them to to learn, and you have to learn to speak that language. And unfortunately, doctors, we have a really simple answer. It's called the prescription pad. And so we've forgotten the art of, well, let's actually look at what's caused this disease process. But you as a teacher, you see these kiddos every single day. So I think that there's so much that our teachers can do, I think, that will benefit not only them in the classroom, but just so many lives and the ripple effect that you're talking about into the families. It's amazing. Right. 
Right, and and you know you're you're so right. As a doctor, and I admire your work, by the way. And oh, thank you. chamber in here. I'm hoping that the word will spread because I just think you have so much to offer. I mean, you know, teach organizations or the school districts, somebody should be tapping your knowledge and those years of experience that you've literally just kind of fell into and discovered and had these amazing results to continue. I mean, you could revolutionize our education system in a sense. I mean, as far as the nutrition and seeing, you know, ADHD potentially get better, all these different things that we're dealing with now. I mean, it's just like, it, it really blows my mind. This hasn't been brought out forth, but I'll, I'll do my best to bring your message forth. I'll tell you that much. Thank you. Thank you. And I, and I agree 100%. And, you know, I'm so passionate about this that, you know, I am more than willing to help anybody who's interested in having the conversation, you know, it, because it's not difficult. And not only, in fact, it is so much more difficult working with students when they are resisting you 
then when they're on board. And, you know, after both myself and my staff noticed that after we implemented this program, the life in the classroom became much easier. Students were more compliant. They were excited about coming to school. They looked forward to going to the gym. They looked forward to, to cooking healthy foods. They had conversations at home. It was wonderful. It was so wonderful. Right. And it's so inexpensive and so fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My goodness. I, You know, I, again, I just want to thank you so much for all those years and all those lives of those students that you change. I, I mean, I'm sure you're, you're getting accolades from parents anyway, but I, I just always like to acknowledge those that I interview. One, thank you for the time and sharing your knowledge and your experience. And lastly, but just to say thank you, and I, we so appreciate you, and I really want to say a true heartfelt thank you. Uh, thank you. And I have to say that it really, I really have been blessed to be able to work with such a wonderful population. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, and thank you for the work that you do. And, you know, for, for this today, the interview today and, and spreading the word. I, you know, you're, you're, you're a physician and that is certainly a monumental job and you're taking on this as well. And I'm proud to know you. Thank Aww, you. Thank you. I'm, for me, it's, I tell people it's my veggie crack. I got to get my dopamine hit <laughs> because <laughs> when you have, well, you know, when you have the joy of seeing people get better and healing, their true sense of healing, not just I'm controlling your diabetes medicine, your, your numbers with medications, but actually like, holy moly, I'm off insulin. I'm reversing this disease process. I'm like you said, no joint pain. All these things are getting better. That is like that, that helping someone, it gives you a high and it is so amazing. So I, I, I just call it veggie crack. I should just get a shirt in his pocket. That's like I'm high on veggie crack. But it's. I think you should. I think you should get a cycling jersey. I'd buy one. Okay, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it is such an amazing thing. And I think I did hear someone, there was a study or something that helping people did raise the dopamine. And that's why people like that feeling. We're, we're wired to do that, to live in a society. And it makes complete sense to me. And, uh, well, I, true, true. Mm -hmm. and I think that there's there's a teacher in all of us, in every mm -hmm. parent and every, anybody that works with other people, you know, there's nothing better to me, there's nothing better in life than to be able to help somebody else. Just mm -hmm. sometimes I almost have a little bit of a guilt feeling because I feel like I might be getting more out of it than they are, you know, but... But it's so true. I, I totally get it. We went to Uganda on a mission trip earlier this year, and these are people, they're oh, just the most beautiful people, and they're just so joyful and thankful for you being there. But what I learned there was so much more, I think, than what I, the minimal that I gave. I mean, I just, it, I, I, I did come back feeling guilty, one, for all the affluence that we have in America and not being able to share and feed everyone in the world, which can do, but just knowing that I, the joy that they have and that peace, yeah, they don't have everything that we do, the creature comforts and, you know, but for me, the hot shower was such a cool thing coming back, <laughs> but, you know, but, but just the joy that they had and what it instilled in me to be so much more appreciative of life and in loving the ones that are with you, 
and being present in the moment because they're not being distracted by cell phones and different things. And it's, it is, you're absolutely right. And people love to talk. I mean, people love to talk about themselves and hear about them and listening is a skill I think we've lost. So asking people to tell their story. Oh, it's so much fun. I, I feel like, you know, every, every interview that I do, it's like, I'm getting so much more because I get to talk about to all these really amazing people. So I'm really the lucky one here, but I'm, I'm, (laughs) it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, well, again, well, I'll tell you what, we'll wrap this up. And I just, again, want to thank you so much for your time. I I know I probably took you way past what you thought you (laughs) were going to talk. No, not at all. (laughs) More than happy. And like I said, you know, it's, want to talk and I'm more than happy to Wonderful. chat with educators or people or whoever you know Wonderful. Um, it's just uh it's it's just so huge to me right. you know um uh, it, it's just what, so life-changing and I just it's heartbreaking to see people that are struggling and you know we've had the answer we've had it for years and yet um like Dr. Gregor says and yet it's uh somehow people just, it's hard to change. It's yeah. so hard to change. And, you know, something else I tell people is, you know, what you, what you strive for is progression, mm-hmm. not perfection. Mm-hmm. You know, if you stumble, get up and, and, and keep moving forward and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you'll be successful. That's absolutely right. Don't let perfect get in the way of your progression. Absolutely. That's that, right. Those right. are wise words for sure. So what, um, again, I want to thank you for your time.